0: Welcome to Everyday Strong, the podcast that teaches parents, teachers, and other caring adults how their everyday loving actions can help their teens cope with anxiety and depression.
1: Hi, everyone. This is Michael Ann. We have a very rare opportunity here today to hear from one of our original Everyday Strong founders, in uh, this season, we've heard from Katherine Johnson, who was one of our Everyday strong founders, but today we also have Dr. Matt Swenson, who is a child psychiatrist at Intermountain Healthcare, and we just love Matt. And everyone who hears Matt loves to hear him talk. And so, Matt, we're so glad to have you here today.
0: Ah, uh, thank you. It's, I'm just happy to be here. It's my pleasure. That was an awesome introduction. Now I'm feeling a little pressure.
1: No, no pressure. I can't decide if I should call you Dr. Swenson, but I feel like that'll make you feel more pressure. So I'll call I think, you
0: Matt. I feel like I should be introduced as just the the founder of the fan club for Everyday Strong. I really am just a big fan. And the longer that it's gone on, the more I just want to support and uh, sort of build up that paradigm in people's minds. So this is a good fit for me to be here.
1: Thank you. So glad you're here. Um, And, you know, I could pick your brain on a lot of things, but one of the trickiest issues that as I've, you know, I've been out teaching in the community and I've been talking to school counselors and teachers and um, this has been kind of, you know, you and I have talked about this for six years now, but what I'm hearing a lot lately is people saying that they, the kids that they work with seem to be experiencing, quote unquote, unprecedented levels of apathy. Just like mm. the one image that was described to me was just kids sitting out in the hallway, like totally unwilling to go to class, don't really seem to care about anything. And people ask me, like, what do we do about that? Mm-hmm. I, of course, have my opinion, but I want to hear Matt, what do you think? what's your just? <laughs> where would you start well i
0: I would guess that our opinions um, are similar.
1: Uh, you know, I've been taught well by you <laughs> I,
0: I got an email from uh, one of your staff people who who mentioned that that was the topic today, and i I have to be honest my I was struck at first because my initial thought was, hmm, apathy like which who is that which which kids? are apathetic or just don't seem to care about anything. I I don't know that I meet those kids. I I thought um, the kids that I meet, even the ones who are um, playing video games in their basement all day, every day, and don't seem to leave anywhere, if you sit with them and you say, you know, what do you want for your life? They have all kinds of things to say. Um, And in medicine, it gets tricky because we use the word apathy in a lot of different contexts. So there's uh, medical or neurologists use that word a little differently. So I also didn't want to just quibble with the word and at one point when I was just thinking about this, I swear this is a true story. I Googled apathy to see what it meant to make sure that we were on the same page. And, you know, on Google, it shows up the definition. And then underneath, it's like an example of of the word in a sentence. And the sentence example was as in widespread apathy among students. And I started laughing. I thought, well, wow. apparently that's the, um, that's the stereotype uh, of apathy. Yeah. But I, you know, I... I Maybe these kids just never make it into my office, but I begin with the assumption that people care and that they do care about their life and they do have hopes for themselves and um you know i think I think what we probably are mistaking for apathy is um one of of several things, so let me give you some examples, some thoughts I had I think sometimes um I think it seems too risky to care. I think it seems like putting yourself out there, um, the risk of failure or rejection or having to live with the consequences of what you choose. I think people are paralyzed. I think it's fear for some people that there's too much risk or they've had some bad experiences in the past and it just feels too hard. Similarly, related to sort of anxiety, there's a group who care so much and are so overwhelmed for so long that it almost feels like an adaptive brain response to just shut down. And there's this fine line between being so worried about everything in your life and what's happening and, and just shutting off and saying, well, I, rather than care about everything, I'm going to care about nothing. And those kids look really depressed and it's, it's hard for treatment because you can't just go from that have turned off caring to normal, you have to sort of drag them back through their anxiety and all those overwhelmed feelings. Uh, and that can be tough. So, so I think too risky to care is one. Uh, another, another thing that sort of masks as apathy, I think, is loneliness. I think um, there's just, there's no tribe, there's no people to run with, there's no pack. A lot of adolescents in particular um, say, well, I do things because that's what my friends are doing and i think if you're lonely you can just look a little less motivated um you know we know from kind of attachment research you know people have heard of these studies of monkeys and other animals where they were sort of deprived of attachment and love and connection at birth and they are so apathetic to use that word that they 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 have what we call failure to thrive in medicine they just don't even they don't even grow they don't even eat but it it stems from kind of a lack of connection. Uh, so I think mm-hmm. that's it. Um, I think there's a, I think there's a feeling for some people that they're not good at stuff. Mm-hmm. And so why try these? You know, when people say, I, I hate volleyball, I say that I don't really hate it. But for a long time, I said, I hate volleyball. But the truth was, I just wasn't good at it. And there was nothing that made me feel more uncoordinated than trying to put my hands together and hit a volleyball. And I think you and me both, (laughs) that's my nemesis. I think when you hear people say, I I don't care, you should hear, um, I'm not good at it. You know, I don't care about school, probably for some people means I'm not good at school. I don't care about having a dirty room could mean I'm not great at organizing myself enough to clean my room. And so there's a little bit of a um, feeling you're not good at things. Uh, can take the wind out of, you know, any motivation you may have had. And then I think the one, and this is not all inclusive, this is sort of just me thinking, I think the one other area that might look like apathy or masquerade as apathy is sort of a lack of power or influence, that you just don't feel like your efforts make a difference, um, that it's not going to really pay off for you, that I, you know, my life is already determined for me. So why would I want to put myself out there or try? Because I just can't make a difference. So,
1: you know, Matt, I don't know if you did this on purpose, but let me just recap for you what you just said. So you said some of the causes of apathy can be riskiness, fear of failure, um, lack of like connection and feeling like you don't have a sense of like Mm. belonging. Yeah. And then like an inability to like Influence your world, or like not knowing how to like take risk, and you just listed safety, connection, confidence.
0: Yeah, I, and I do this accidentally all the time. <laughs> that doesn't surprise me.
1: Uh huh.
0: Yeah, and interestingly, uh-huh. if I if I look at three and four, being not good at mm-hmm. things uh, mm-hmm. and having no influence. You and I, you know this. Uh, we've talked a lot about modeling everyday strong after Maslow's hierarchy and. It, within that hierarchy, they sort of break down what we call confidence into confidence slash competence. You know, this this mixture of feeling good, but also authentically, objectively, just being good at stuff. And I think those two probably even break down that way. You're either not not good at stuff, um, is a sort of competence issue, and then feeling powerless, I suppose, is confidence. So, yeah, you're right, and it it just. Um, <laughs> it's another reason why I think everyday strong should be our lens to look at these kids, maybe sitting on the bench at school and, uh, taking the time to try to understand what's going on for them, you know, understand what they want for themselves, what their goals are. Start by assuming that they have some, uh, and then see what you can do to care for, you know, the, the, the fears that they have, which is safety. Um, you know, Building their connections and building their competence. That's always the answer, really.
1: <laughs> yeah. Um, and I think this is so interesting. I, I kind of want to go back, though, to something that you said at the very beginning that really struck me. Um, you know, you said a little tongue in cheek, right? Like, who are these kids? I don't, I've never met them, <laughs> the kids who don't care, right? Yeah. And that when you get them in your office, you, you can actually see how much they really do care. Um, I think one thing that's happening there is that they maybe don't always care about the things that all the adults care about. Um, but I'm also curious, like, do you have, do you have strategies that you use, mindset strategies or questions you ask to like kind of draw out what it is that they care about?
0: Yeah. I, I actually think I'd go so far as to say my first job is to find out what it is that they do care about. And, um, And sometimes it takes a bit, but, um, Mm -hmm. you know, I think, you know, a lot of kids are just, I use it, you know, in in psychology, um, we use a lot of fancy words, reaction formation and acting out or denial or counterphobia. I would think of all these words, but really lay people would call this just sort of saving face. And it's amazing how many Mm -hmm. people come in and are just saving face. Um, And once I start poking around, um, they're willing to talk now. All of Everyday Strong is really about you know to your point strategies. Trying to figure out what are those strategies? How do you how do you evoke a conversation? How do you get uh, for them get people talking? And you know I I think the number one thing that I do is I just have a genuine, honest curiosity about them. You know, really a non judgmental. I really just want and I say this. I My goal today is to try my best to understand what it's like to be you, to walk around in your shoes. And so I'm going to ask a lot of questions to try to just feel your perspective. And I think reflecting... There's something,
1: there's something even difficult about like, if I'm just like, all these kids, the, you know, the audience can't see me, but I'm making a big circle with my hands, right? Like all these kids are apathetic and all of them are experiencing the same thing versus like, you know, like... Like, you know, Devin, what are you – what does it feel like for you right now? Like, mm-hmm. why do you feel like you maybe don't care? Like, it's such a difference, right, when you're thinking in globally versus the person in front of you.
0: I think so. Are you saying, like, we have to be careful not to sort of generalize or lump a bunch of kids yeah, together? Yeah, 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 yeah. And say that yeah. this is sort of a – because it does come across. I mean, it puts us in a bad position. It feels like, I don't know, generational wars or, or we immediately don't mm-hmm. understand. And you have to mm-hmm. remember, particularly in young people – their identity is mm-hmm. closely defined by the people they run with. So mm-hmm. you, you, it also can't you can't be talking about um, kids these days or how mm-hmm. apathetic people are or criticize the group that they run with or the friends they have or mm-hmm. the good or bad influences that they are without them feeling that. You'll lose all authenticity mm-hmm. um, with the kid that mm-hmm. you're talking to. So you n- mm-hmm. not only can you not broadly... Generalize all kids together, but you have to be really careful. One of the best ways to undercut safety is -hmm. for your kid to hear you talking judgmentally about another kid, um, because those are their peers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So,
1: yeah. Um, So you come in and you have like this genuine curiosity, Mm -hmm. Um, and uh, you know I imagine that you have more than one kid who does. I always call it the porcupine thing, right? Where they just like, don't want to engage. Then what do you do?
0: Yeah, you know, I related to the curiosity, and I think this is a tip for parents and teachers um, Mm -hmm. who feel stuck, it's okay to just start with that, to say, Mm -hmm. um, this is what I want, this is what I fear, but I'm feeling a little stuck. Um, I think sort of modeling that insecurity. So I'll often say something like, I really want to get to know you today. My biggest fears about this would be that you leave here feeling interrogated, that you felt like you had to answer my questions, that you felt like it wasn't safe to be here. If any of that happened after this conversation, I would consider this a failure. And my goal is really just to understand you and how, you, what you want for yourself and then to see if I can be helpful in some way. So I think, mm-hmm. I think a couple of things have happened there. I've communicated what my goals are, and I've sort of... In a way, thrown out, thrown my own insecurities and my own worries out mm-hmm. there, uh, made myself a bit vulnerable, probably. And I don't mind being also a little clumsy or apologetic or um, acting like I'm kind of fumbling.
1: Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. yeah.
0: And I think the other thing um, that is helpful is, um, you know, not how would I put this? Uh, young people don't often have words. And so we have to help them say what they feel. That's, you know, that's stereotypically why teens love music or sometimes poetry or art. You know, they're the ones who say, oh my gosh, that song, it, it described perfectly how I feel because they sort of are, they have these big emotions and they're struggling. So um, it can't be just a bunch of questions like an interrogation. If you really want to know what's going on again, these layers we talked about, about whether life feels too risky or whether they feel lonely or whether they feel competent or good at things or powerful, um, you, you have to sometimes give them the words like, I've wondered if it just feels too hard, or I wonder if maybe not me, but maybe just maybe just the environment, maybe the school you go to just feels like too much pressure. I've been curious about what it's like to be a young person these days and uh, feel like things are really expensive and colleges are tough to get into. And, you know, how do you go about navigating that? How are you looking to your future? It seems to me like that could be, and this is where you're giving them words, stifling, overwhelming. It might make certain day-to-day things seem pointless. And and it's often when you've said a word and you see their eyes get a little bit bigger and they nod a little bit and they go, yes, yes. And, and it's okay to do that guessing because you'll also be able to see in them if you're missing You know, if they, if they Mm -hmm. roll their eyes, if they're darting around, if they're like, I guess, you know, you can tell, I hope if you're attuned when they just want to get out of the conversation, but, but don't Mm -hmm. be afraid to kind of throw out a lot of thoughts that you have or what you might have, or try to guess what they might be thinking or feeling. And, and rather than making them come up with all of these words, um, just be able to say, yeah, yeah, that's it. Yeah. You said it kind of like a little guessing game. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah, a little guessing game. Yeah, I love this.
0: And, um, and I I think, there's... Sorry, and I think you have to be so legitimately curious and not judgy. Um, but when they say something, when they do take a risk and say, oh, it feels like that, or they'll say sometimes when they take a risk, sometimes it feels like I'm trapped. They'll use like a great word like that. Mm-hmm. You know, I really like to go, oh oh my gosh, that was such a great description, you know, to really kind of try to reinforce when they do make an effort. But, but you have to come from this place of, um, they have these feelings, they have wishes, they have hopes, they're just not quite sure how to put it into words and how to get those needs met.
1: Yeah. There's something here that I really like that you said, and you didn't say exactly like this, but you know, you said like, you know, Costs are rising, you know, like college is expensive. Like, you know, there's these really big factors that, um, you know, I think uh, to me, like one thing I try to think about is like if our kids seem apathetic, there might be some very legitimate reasons for that. that have nothing to do with their own personal morals or work ethic, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Just the sense of like a lot of cards being stacked against them. But then I think about, like, what our role is in relation to, you know, these giant forces being stacked against them. Like, that might be how it feels, right? And, like, how it is that we sort of source our own hope and curiosity and faith um, that even when our kids can't see the end game that, I don't know, we can kind of hold that for them. I'm curious what you think about that or, like, how that kind of, like, helps us relate to them.
0: Yeah, I, I think you have to be, you have to be, as you're sort of curious and exploring with them, I think you do have to sort of convey a sense of we got this and I'm not worried mm-hmm. for you kind of thing. Because I do think a lot of probably parents or teenagers or or teachers, the the impetus for sitting down for these conversations is because you're already worried. And I think that you have to be careful that you're not bringing your anxiety Mm -hmm. and piling onto theirs. Like you said, bringing kind of a faith, a trust uh, uh, into that conversation. Like I'm here to make sure that I'm helping you, but also to re I want to be reassuring not my goal is to light a fire under you because you obviously Mm -hmm. can't see how scary your life is going to be in the next few years and you better start getting ready for it. I think a lot of parents accidentally take that. Um that perspective. I I, the the visual image for me is always a roller coaster. Like the Mm. best sort of parenting stance is I'm trying to communicate in my words and in my behavior and even in my emotional tone that I am sitting next to you, strapped into this roller coaster, similarly worried about the ups and downs and turns and everything that's going to happen, but I'm communicating that that we're in this together and that we both don't know but this is what life is. Yeah, and so right, I, yes. So I totally agree that we have to sort of manage our own expectations. Now, having said all of this, you know, I, I think it's important to mention because I can imagine people listening to this and thinking, oh, you know, same old everyday strong. I just need to care for their needs. And they're missing the, the real conflict that I'm having right now about getting my kid off the screen in the basement. And so I, I do want to say that even though we need to start with some healthy – confident, um, assumptions about the people we're working with, have faith in them that they really do have goals and hopes. And you should think about this sort of intrinsic motivation. These are, you know, they talk about intrinsic extrinsic. These are intrinsic motivators, the safety, connection, confidence. When you feel those things, you know, that's what gets you going. There is obviously a role for parents because kids are short-sighted and they don't necessarily see their future and they do get, you know, during different periods of development, maybe overly preoccupied with peers or identity or things like that. It's not to say that you don't do anything, but you need to sort of explore these things. And then I think of parenting is really about, um, holding the frame, the boundary that you, I trust you, you have a lot of opportunities. You have a lot of choices. You even have the ability to explore and to fail and to, um, um you know, communicate whatever happens but but within this sort of boundary, and my job as a parent is to sort of hold the, I think of it as a Pac-Man game, you know, like a, I get the outside wall and your job is to sort of decide which way you're going to go and gobble up all those little mm-hmm. things. And so mm-hmm, it is mm-hmm. still appropriate for parents to say, look, this is the amount of screen time we can have, or these are the amount of activities that I want you to be involved in, or you have to choose one of these classes. You know, there, there's this sort of bare minimum, you have to go to school, a boundary that you are holding firmly but you can't be so authoritative about it that you stifle their feeling of power or you're ruining your connection or they feel unsafe to talk about things they'd like to explore or do or risk failing because you've gotten so so rigid with that boundary. So, And I think that's part of the balance.
1: Yeah, you know, two things on that. So one is back in August, we published um, an episode with a woman named Brooklyn Rainey about – boundaries and I just I loved that it was really really helpful for thinking as a parent or caring adult about like yeah how do I hold those pac-man wells Mm -hmm. and the other thing is that you know a couple months ago maybe it was last year Matt you explained to me um like you gave this beautiful metaphor of how like motivation is kind of like two legs that you stand on you know there's extrinsic motivation and there's intrinsic motivation and we're always kind of shifting our weight back and forth of like um, to give it more, you said it, but I'll kind of repeat just to give a concrete example. You know, these intrinsic motivations are these like desires for attachment and connection and then, you know, to have the, the risk be lowered so I can feel safer and all those kinds of things. But there is also a lot of power in external motivation, right? Like grades like can help you like actually get the thing done, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think what I always like when I'm teaching this lately, I always tell people like, you know, if you're not really getting the result that you want with your kid, just try shifting your weight from one to the other, right? And kind of play with like one versus the other and see what happens because human beings always need both.
0: I love that. The idea of shifting your weight a little bit back, Mm -hmm. you know, and the reality is it's, it's helpful for us to think in those terms, you know, you can also stand on both feet at the same time, you know, because Totally. There, there's, a, there's a difference between, you know, a kid doing something good and saying, here's five bucks, now get out of here, versus mm-hmm. saying, here's five bucks, and I'm so proud and amazed at how good you did. You know, often more than we're conscious of, we're sort of mixing that intrinsic, mm-hmm. the connection, mm-hmm. and the reinforcing mm-hmm. their power and their competence while you're handing them five bucks. And ideally, even mm-hmm. for adults, that's kind of mm-hmm. what what our jobs should be if it were just about a paycheck you know, we'd really we'd run out of gas at some point, but we probably wouldn't just continue to show up every day if you never got, you never got paid. So no, no. So you shift yeah, a little bit, probably. you go back and forth, but you definitely, um, you can stand on both feet at the same time. I do, you know, especially mm-hmm. as, you know, in the early science where it was animal-based behavioral models, and we talked about mm-hmm. and defined intrinsic versus extrinsic motivation, and within extrinsic, we talked about reinforcements and punishments and mm-hmm. all these kinds of things. You know, those were animal trials where we were just, you know, giving a little treat to an animal. But in the human world, there really is so much more of that connection and praise and love and attachment that's sort of in, ingrained in in really good um, extrinsic motivator, which is also why we've sort of really consolidated a lot of that research around just positive, positive reinforcement, positive reinforcement, try to ignore even or downplay kind of the negative stuff and find find what's really positive. So it doesn't mean there's not a role for even sometimes negative reinforcement. So negative reinforcement means you're mm-hmm. taking away something they don't like in order to reinforce positive behavior. So
1: taking away screen time, taking away No, it'd be
0: a little different. It would be it would be taking away a negative... so if you um oh, yeah, uh-huh, if you yes. do this all day and then I, you don't yeah. have to go to church, you know, something like that. Yes, 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 so, yes, yes. But, yes, but then yes, there is yeah, kind uh-huh. of punishment which yeah. is removing screen time mm-hmm. or going to your room or things like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, one way, even though you kind of have to go back and forth, um, you know, sometimes I think of, a lot of people have heard this fable of, have you heard the fable of the wind and the sun and the raincoat? It, you know, some version no. of this where the, the <laughs> wind so the wind and the sun get together and they decide to, to figure out who's more powerful. And they, do, they see this person walking with a raincoat and they say, let's see who can get him to take his coat off. And the wind uh-huh. goes first uh-huh. and it blows and it blows. And the harder the wind blows in the person's face, the tighter they grab to that coat. And as soon as the wind is done and has exhausted all their effort, the sun comes out and very gently warms up the area and the person takes off the coat. So when you're thinking about it, you know, the wind is very much the extrinsic motivation in that way. You know We are sometimes blustering like wind, and it's not that it's not helpful. There is a role. But sometimes the harder you blow with those external motivators, the tighter your kid is going to hold that coat on. And these intrinsic motivators, which is so core to everyday strong, Making it safe for them, like the son, to just sort of take their coat off, is really, really should be your your mindset. I think when people start with the external motivators, motivators, some families are very competent where everything has a price, everything has a reward, everything has a privilege associated with it. But what I see happen is they fall into what we what we call coercive relationships, where kids flip that back on you. And now they're not going to do anything unless they get paid for it, unless they get a price, unless they get a privilege. And, and you've sort of lost that opportunity for the, the the love, the attachment, the praise, the the warmth, the the tickles, the back scratches, those those physical safety, connection, competence building reinforcements. And, and it just became sort of privileges or screen time. So you do have to be careful with that. Even though I think it's nice to sort of draw on all of your resources. Um Gosh, start with putting on that everyday strong lens and say, mm-hmm. I just want to approach this kid, assume the best for them, and start exploring a little bit what they want, what they value, and where we can kind of help facilitate things.
1: Yeah, this is really, really lovely. And I think this is a question that, you know, I want to work into my teaching more is like that intermediate step of like, what is it that they value? Mm-hmm. Um, and actually, I would love it. Do you, do you remember the story of Nathan? You think you could, like, retell us that story of Nathan? Or you want me to yeah, do Yeah, maybe
0: it? you do it. I might not uh, remember which person said it. <laughs> because for me, Nathan is actually um, a different name. So that was a pseudonym yes, of a Yes, yes. Like, like, we,
1: we, we, we kind of summarized it in a way that, you know, makes more sense. Mm-hmm. But there's a way more complexity to the story, right? But mm-hmm. the way that we tell this story, right, is there's this kid, Nathan, and, um, you know, he's he says he wants to drop out of school. He's failing all his classes. He can't succeed. Um, and, you know, the principal says that he's just smoking out of or mm. he's sneaking out of class every day to smoke mm. weed. Right. Um, and so, you know, when we teach this, I, I love to tell people, ask people like, you know, well, how do we normally respond to this kid? And we come in with a lot of these, what you're describing is external motivators, right? Like, more like failing grades like more like bribes like will you please just go to class and i'll give you gas money right we, we try all these things and often this kid who's representative of a lot of kids still isn't responding um but i always love to share this clip of you when you talk about like how you actually approached him do you remember like when he told you he was going to drop out do you remember what you did <laughs> I, don't, I watched your no, video recording you too the many story times so.: much. Basically,
0: yeah, I, I, you, you, you tell what? the story. I remember okay. I remember looking at this kid uh-huh. with his head down uh-huh. and his messy hair, uh-huh. yeah. not being able to mm-hmm. see his face, yeah. but seeing tears mm-hmm. start dropping to the ground. Um, yeah. And I can't remember what I said or what I told you I said in that moment.
1: Yeah. I mean, really, what you just said is like you just were focused on how do I help him feel safe, How do I not judge him? Mm-hmm you know? Um, and how no, do I just, I remember like, what I said. not try to fix it? I said, yeah.
0: I said, I bet you wish other people could see how hard you were trying. And I think mm-hmm. that was it. Do you know, funny related yeah. story, I don't mean to cut you mm-hmm. off, but there's been a few kids um, in my practice mm-hmm. who have uh, spent the day, the whole school day in their car in the parking lot, or a lot mm-hmm. more that spend all of the lunch hour in a bathroom stall in the mm-hmm. bathroom, and it just breaks your heart. I had my first one within the last mm-hmm. couple of weeks, um, mm-hmm. dropped off for therapy multiple times, and mm-hmm. hiding in the waiting room of their therapy office so that when the therapy came, person came out, they they just assumed it was a no show. But then they would just hide there until their mom came back to pick them up. And I thought, oh, that is <gasps> like next next level um, fear. Yeah. Uh, and these kids are just so next afraid. Next level fear.
1: Yeah. yeah. Well, and, like, the reason why I love this story, right, is because, you know, he's kind of a classically, like, this kid is just lazy. This kid is unmotivated. This kid is apathetic, right? Mm -hmm. Like, he would be the classic example of how he started this. But, um, you know, it really hit me one day that, like, a kid like this, a kid who who goes out of his way to hide behind a plant or whatever Mm -hmm. at the therapist's office, that's a lot of motivation. That is, like, major action it's just not motivation for the thing we want them to be motivated and for. and i'll say it's an you know it's what i an mean
0: exhausting amount of internal work uh-huh. and so some of those kids mm-hmm. that parents see mm-hmm. who are sleeping or napping mm-hmm. a lot or too much or sleeping mm-hmm. in they mm-hmm. look lazy and tired but it's it's mm-hmm. actually they're doing an extraordinary amount of internal work and they really do feel tired it's like revving mm-hmm. up their anxiety mm-hmm. engine all day long hmm
1: to just always be hiding, always be seeking for that need that hasn't been met. Like, just that, I mean, I can't even imagine. It's like it's like being hungry all the time, right? Mm-hmm. And you're just exhausted because you're always looking for that need to be met and you can't find it. And just, you know, what happens? I mean, that's what I think What the, the wonderful part of that story is that when you went in and you said, how do I help him feel safe? How do I not judge him? You know, mm-hmm. you started to try to meet that need things shifted in, I think, subtle but
0: really important ways. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 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 exactly. absolutely. Now, I, I suppose, I don't, you know, it might be worth mentioning that, um, you know, we've talked a lot about this in Everyday Strong, about this idea of mm-hmm. self-motivation being a little different than what we talk about mm-hmm. with apathy or motivation or driv- mm-hmm. drive, grit, all these mm-hmm. kinds of things you know self motivation is a skill, so I don't even like to talk about motivation as something you have or don't have I think we all have these needs mm-hmm. and we all want to self actualize and and we just need to sort of mm-hmm. clear the path for people but at the end of the day mm-hmm. even even though I might really feel strongly about uh, health and physical fitness um, mm-hmm. it doesn't mean I make it to the gym and and there could be, you know, if you were looking at me and trying to help me get to the gym more regularly, you, I would hope that you would look through this lens and say, is there risk in going? Do you feel embarrassed about yeah. going and how you look and whether you know what you're doing and whether people are judging you? And you yeah. might consider, is there a relationship issue where, you know, maybe people in your life, you know, don't value that or they think you're, you know, spending too much time at the gym rather than with your kids or, you know, sort of explore the Relationship context, maybe the competence issue. Do you feel like you can get anything done? Do you feel silly when you're there? Do you know what to do? But if all of those are sort of checked, if you will, and you're really Mm -hmm. thoughtful about it, there is still something to be said for this sort of skill, this ability to just Mm -hmm. make yourself do things that are hard, to get started, to put that one foot in front of another. And I do think that's where you know a lot of these kids. When you say, "Well, my kids are you know safe and connected and happy and everything else," but they just I just can't get them to do their homework or they procrastinate too late. Mm-hmm. There is sometimes a place to kind of look really closely at those motivational skills. I, I think of that in the competence mm-hmm. realm and say, "Gosh, let's mm-hmm. sit down and have some conversations about what self motivation looks like. How do you how do you set yourself up to be successful? How do you organize a project mm-hmm. and break it down into small things and plan mm-hmm. ahead and?" Remember why it's important to you and set a timer and all of those skills they talk about um, without approaching that kid from the perspective of why can't you just not be so lazy?
1: Uh-huh. Yeah. And so I, I do yes. think that's a yes. little yes. part of
0: Now, I, I talk safety, connection, competence, and I always kind of put those, that skill of self-motivation and competence. But I, I think it's worth throwing out there and sort of to, to sort of get the whole big picture of this um, kind of motivation topic
1: yeah absolutely. I think it goes back to what you're saying before, right? I mean, like there are those external motivators of a timer of a you know a treat, like, a little reward yeah. after yeah, you do like five steps or whatever, right um there's there's a lot of room for that. Um, and I think so much of what i I want to communicate to people about everyday strong, you know it's it's not about let me give you like you know we were talking a moment ago. Let me give you the exact five things to say, and then nothing will ever go wrong in your relationship, right? right. Like, you'll never get a negative reaction and from your teenager. If you are the kind of person like, that. Here's
0: the lens. Yeah. And if you are the yeah. kind of person yeah. who needs to know exactly what to say, um, mm-hmm. then I would encourage you to check your own anxiety because that's what anxiety is all about. Yeah. I need to make sure mm-hmm. that this is going to be okay, mm-hmm. that my kid is ready, that they're prepared for life. I want to make sure. That they're going to yeah. be prepared for the grades, everything else. The the people that mm-hmm. talk to me and have a lot of anxiety, it's it's this need for certainty where certainty just doesn't yeah. exist. And I often tell them, you know, you need to you need to sort of become um, a a a missionary of your anxiety by teaching your anxiety faith. You need to teach your anxiety to just trust yeah. and to just to believe, right. and that you're never going to know for sure. Yeah. And it's the same thing with parents. I think sometimes. If they come to things like this or if they listen to a podcast, they read a book, and they just don't feel like they have all the answers, um, you know, take a deep breath and ask yourself why you think you need all the answers, and there might be some anxiety behind Mm -hmm. there that you could kind of get in check yourself and learn to sort of take some deep breaths, trust yourself, trust your kids, you know, realize that at the end of the day, parenting is not a set of skills, it's a relationship.
1: I just want to sit with that for a second. And I almost like want to repeat it, right? Like asking yourself, like, why do I think I need all the answers? Mm-hmm. Like that is just such an interesting question to, to meditate on, honestly. Um, and I think it's one of the... And
0: I Sorry, <laughs> but I think it's one of the fun. I want to just say it's a fun part of being a parent to take mm-hmm. a few principles, take this lens mm-hmm. and say, what can I, mm-hmm. how can I bring my own creativity my own family culture my own history what i know about my kids and how can we in our own way figure out what safety is going to look like and what relationship building is going to look like and how i'm going to build competence and and just kind of have that that have that fun as long as you have the right lens i think it's really empowering and really fun as a parent to get really creative i had just is what i i had a 7 year old come down he he found out that i'd paid one of my other kids to read a really long book and he showed me these little, uh-huh. little tiny books that he'd been reading. He said, I've read three of these dad uh-huh. look, and I could tell what he was angling at. And I said, that is really good reading. How much do you think I should pay you for those books? And he said, maybe like $3 or $4. Then I sat and thought uh-huh. and I said, do you know what? It probably is worth $3, but I'm so thrilled you're reading. Let's make it five. And his eyes lit up and he got so excited that we, I paid him $5 and he kind of ran away. And it was one of those rare moments where I thought that was uh-huh. such, the difference for me between 3 and $5 isn't very much, but for him, what I was hoping to build is like not just that and extrinsic reinforcement, but a lot of praise and a lot of how much you delight me, how much you surprise me, how much I love doing this yeah. for you, um, just to kind of shore up some of those other things.
1: Yeah. You know... Um a metaphor I've been using to teach a lot lately is how children are like plants, right? Mm. And you would like literally never look at like a plant and be like, "That is a lazy plant." <laughs> <laughs> like, like, like that's like that's nonsense, right? Mm. Like, like, like if a plant isn't thriving, it's not because it's lazy or unmotivated. In fact, we know plants are motivated to grow, to thrive, to grow towards the light. And if something's not going right, it's because there's something in the environment not quite right. Now, granted. People have agency in a way that plants don't. Mm -hmm. So it gets a little bit more complex than that. But it's still useful. And I also love this, too, because, like, every plant, we know that plants in general need the same general things, Mm -hmm. water, sunlight, whatever. But, like, I don't know what kind of plant you've got on your hands. I don't know if it's a water lily or a cactus. And it's going to be very, very different depending on which you're working with and so to be able to and the other thing i love too is that i was actually talking to a biology professor friend of mine he works at byu and i keep killing my my kitchen herbs and i was like oh like tell me what to do tell me exactly what to do to stop doing this and he was like well the good news is that plants don't have central nervous systems so they don't feel pain it doesn't matter if you kill them but i mean again doesn't totally apply to children but his point was just you got to get down there and experiment and learn by your own wisdom because there's not an exact replica of like what this environment and this plant is going to need yeah i love the metaphor
0: too because you would never ask a plant if it wants to grow like how we started this podcast. Right. No. do you want anything? Yeah. It seems like you're totally apathetic and don't care about anything. Right. And I think if you start yeah. with kids the way you would a plant, assuming mm-hmm. that it does want to grow mm-hmm. and that we just need to figure out how mm-hmm. to do it, um I think that checks out,
1: yeah, yeah. And just trusting, right? that they do want to grow and trusting that you have it within you to create to create an experience and experiment and just watch what happens. And like, to your point with your kid, like delight when, Suddenly, almost unexpectedly, almost of its own accord, you have this gorgeous
0: reading, bright, smart. Yeah, a little flower pops up one day, and you go, "Look at that! Uh Look at that!" And you know, it's one of the risks of, um, uh, you know, one of the risks of some of these standards that we set for our kids when you know it feels like Mm -hmm. they have they feel like they have to be so perfect and never mess up. Uh, Mm -hmm. You know, we we know they have so much. You know how much I love this word potential um i did that in air quotes mm-hmm. they have so much capability and they're mm-hmm. so smart so we know that they should get 40 you know a straight A's and so um mm-hmm. that's what we expect a kid who's who who either has the opportunity to live up to parental expectations or even live up to their own potential um mm-hmm. versus every once in a while surprising you you know ex- exceeding mm-hmm. doing something kind of fun or quirky or entertaining or new mm-hmm. and you go oh, that's amazing, you know, for them to be able to come yeah. home and say, you know. I never knew you could yeah, do that. You thought that mm. I was, I, you know, I could get all B's, but look, I got three A's. There are some kids that never mm. experienced the thrill of getting to say that because parents always expected A's, so. Yeah. But I love that, that idea of just enjoying your kids and um, delighting in the people that they are becoming. Sometimes one of my early mm. mentors in psychiatry said, you know, our job is really to show up and delight and be surprised at the kinds of people our kids become. And that was a little shocking. I love that. Now it was a little shocking to me in the past because I think I thought like a lot of people that our job was to sort of mold or to guide and, you know, parents have visions for what their kids can do or should do or, and and it's Mm -hmm. well-intended. It's like, this is how you'll have a happy life or this is how you'll be protected from some of the problems that I had. But, um, it's not nearly as fun and not really as uh, healthy for your kids as if you just say, I am just mesmerized, fascinated, interested, and here and grateful to be here to watch from the first row the kinds of people that you're becoming.
1: I think it's such a beautiful note, honestly, um, to kind of close with. Like, And I think that's one of the hardest things of our life, right? To Soothe their own anxieties, mm. um, soothe their own insecurities, long enough to be able to do that for other people. To be just witnesses—I think it's a word I've heard mm-hmm. you use—witnesses to other people's life. It's it's a beautiful, beautiful privilege to be able to have.
0: Yeah, and I, you know, you do. I, you could do, an, an, and you probably have a whole conversation on this idea of mindfulness, where mm. when you start to get mm. a little worried, concerned, questioning, where are they going? What are these decisions? Do they care? You ought to always start with a moment of reflection of your own to stop and say, why does it matter to me? You know, what is it? What is it that pokes at me that causes enough concern or anxiety? What do I really worry will happen? Um, Because if in that worry, it's more about you than them, if it's you not trusting them, if it's you not being able to live with some uncertainty, um, there's Mm -hmm. some, you know, we need to start with us. So,
1: Gorgeous. Uh, Matt, Dr. Swenson, thank you so much for being here today. I always love talking to you and I hope our listeners get as much out of it as I do. Um, Really, just thank you so much. Thanks for
0: having me on. I always love this too. We should do it again sometime. If this episode resonated with you, you can check out our free resilience handbooks and online learning at www.everydaystrong.org. These tools tell you exactly what you can do to help the kids in your life feel safe, connected and confident you can choose to create a relationship with your children that will help them to learn to be resilient, regardless of the challenges life throws their way.